HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. All right, everybody. Welcome, everybody, to the show Life's a Banquet, the show that's edible, spreadable, and Zara. Horrible. Starring your hosts, me, Brent and Scott, and me, Zara Tangora. A show about ostriches, wine, and dough. <laughs> I'm drunk. <laughs> Always. Life's a banquet, life's a banquet, life's a banquet, banquet. All right, one, two, three, go. <gasps> Ooh, welcome, welcome to Life's a Banquet, banquet a podcast, podcast about the highs and lows of all things edible, spreadable, and, and horrible. Starring your hosts, Brett and Scott, and Zara Dengora. Yeah, that's right. Welcome Hello. back to the show. It has been a couple weeks. Oh, I, my God. Well, I just would like to apologize, ever, <laughs> all one of you. Uh, thank <laughs> I'm sorry, you. Mom. To our two mothers, for our listeners. No, thank you very much. I was, like, I was traveling in an exotic land. Where were you? I was in a country called Europe. Oh, my God. The country mm-hmm. of Europe? Mm-hmm. The country of Europe, yeah. It's a very uh, large country filled wow. with a lot of different cities. Amazing. I was in Spain. I was fabulous. in the country of Spain, and it was fabulous. I was in the north. I flew to Madrid, and... Eight and eight and I did. I gained a true a good. I, I gained a four point eight kilos. Oh, for you Americans, uh, I've converted into the metric system since spending eight days in Spain. But that is about eight pounds. You don't look one kilo over. Well, my two hundred. The, the belt buckles do not lie. Notch. There is a big difference between notch number two and number four. Oh, no. So I'm going to Rome this upcoming week, and I'm a little bit worried about my waist. Band you know what? It doesn't matter. A lifetime on the, a moment on the lips, a lifetime, a lifetime on the, the hips. hips. Tell me about it. And but you know the good news is you know I came back full force. You know running up and down stairs. You and, ran back from Spain. Yeah, I ran back from Spain. But <laughs> you're like I'm gonna walk to burn calories. <laughs> mm. But let's talk about what the food was like. Yes, please. There, it was That's just the most important part. Well, the north. So it was in, mostly in the north. Mm-hmm. But I will. This is not an episode about Spain. But I will talk quickly that. When I arrived in Madrid, it was so wonderful. And for those of you that I've, I went to high school in Madrid. <laughs> the entire uh, time? N- no, not the entire time. I went for one school year. And oh, I was actually, really? and I was only in Madrid for four of the months because I was on the on the, the east coast of Spain first. Oh, wow. So then uh, I was off of a spot called Avenida O Porto. And anyway, so this is years ago. It was 1993. So I, wow, in my dude. head, because I haven't, I went back once in 1990 and then I tried to move to Barcelona during September 11th. 
So, and then that failed because of September 11th. I came back. I was like, oh my God. They're like, gonna... your country needs you? Yeah. My dad's like, you need to go to war. And I was like, you're right. And what? I'm ready to fight. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I went back and like got drunk for two months. I was like, oh, and there's not going to be a war. Shit, I should have moved to Spain. But anyway, so when I went back this time, that was the <laughs> last time in 17 years. And part of me was like, oh my God, what would have been like if I did move back and September 11th didn't happen? Yeah. And all those questions and... Spain was very different. Like in my head, it was this 1993 version and it was not like that. You right. Know, the economy's a lot better. Uh, nobody had a beeper. Nobody had a beeper. There were cell phones everywhere. People were staring <laughs> at their iPhones. Uh, but uh, the one thing that I loved was, you know, when the tapas bars. And because it was there in high school, they didn't appreciate the same things that I do now. Right. When I was in high school, I used to go to this cider bar and drink a boot of giant boots of cider in Spain and get blackout drunk. So I tried to find that, but I couldn't remember. But I didn't know where it was. I would drink out of a boot any age. Any age. A it's, baby. It's, a, it's appropriate. Old person, yeah. Uh, but, you know, the, lots of sherry bars. That's fabulous. And, you know, you walk in, you pop your head in, you get, you know, you order a sherry, you order a beer, and it comes with a bowl of, like, smoked spiced olives. Ugh. Or not smoked olives, but, you know, with that Spanish pimento. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe some chorizo, maybe I'll get a little piece of toast, maybe I'll get a little tomato bread, you know, something like that. That's and then, what America's missing. And no snacks with the drinks. No snacks with the drinks. And every like, glass of sherry on the average of the places that I went to, the most expensive one was two euros. How many, how much sherry do you think you drank in gallons? <laughs> not that, <laughs> luckily not that much. They are shorter pours, but, okay. uh, and you know, that's the thing about Europe. They're very strict about the amount of alcohol that you get. So, and glasses of wine were like a euro 20, right, a right, euro right. 70, but they ha everything has those measurements on the glasses. Right. So, so like, like five gallons? I think they're, yeah. I would say <laughs> um, 42 giant slurpee cups from <laughs> Long Island. <laughs> Enough to get to the moon and back. Big deli iced tea styrofoam. Big deli, yep. Deli yeah. iced tea. Okay. Styrofoam cups. <laughs> Perfect. Four of those. Thank you. That's a very. Does that make sense? I'm exactly. You're listening to our episodes, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I pay attention. Uh, but no, just, I think one, our first day in Madrid, we went to eight different bars. Oh my Probably God. only spent a total of 150 euros, but like eight, this is eight things. We had patatas bravas, the tortillas. Oh, that's so sherry awesome. Sherry bars with like dusty sherry bottles just caked in dust and mm. high up on shelves. It's, I know, I That's loved so it. That's so fun. That's so and it was, cool. Like, you know, the food's just out, and I thought, you know, in America, you know why we can't have that? Because the health department oh, would yeah. shut you down. They'd yeah. be like, oh, you need to get rid of those sherry bottles. There's bacteria growing totally. inside. Yeah, there's a fruit There's fruit, fruit flies in here. It's like, yeah, no I shit. didn't see a single damn fruit fly in Madrid. One time, this is a fruit fly sidebar, um, mm -hmm. but I was in Key West, and I ordered like a lemon chilla. I thought I was like being adult. I was with my boyfriend at the time. <laughs> we went to a fancy dinner and I think we ordered like some kind of like, I think it was lemon after after uh, dinner. And so they bring over a glass with lemon on it. And my cup was completely filled with fruit flies. It wasn't like there was a fruit fly. So, so what'd you do? <laughs> it was fruit flies. Um, even then I had the tact of being like, I wasn't a restaurant person yet, but I would just like whispered to the waitress. I was like, I'm sorry. This is completely filled with flies. <laughs> Did they give you a new one? Yeah. They were like, oh, sorry. We'll give you like, this is our like, you know, super fly filled limoncello. <laughs> yeah. I'm Ugh. like, okay, cool. I'm never drinking limoncello again. Well, how about, that's very funny. I know. It's ridiculous. Well, so what else? What else did you do while I was 
Nothing. Busy eating I just, hummus. I just like sat inside and just stared at the wall, waiting for you to come back. Mm, kind of like a dog yes. when its master goes away. I'm yes. just like, I just like looked at the door. I'm like, he'll be back soon. Exactly. <laughs> um, what did I do when you were away? Um, well, I booked a trip to Rome, as I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. Any listeners out there, uh, if you have any Rome suggestions, please hit us up. Life's a banquet podcast. Life's on Instagram, Life's a Banquet Show at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. We'd love your emails. Thank you yeah. so much for all the emails and for continuing to listen to our uh, rants and, and raves. Yes, rants and raves. I did get, the, I went to this butcher Ooh. in Madrid and I bought some. I took the train. I wanted to make a little picnic. Okay. And when we got to the train, there was this old Spanish woman just staring me down, looking at me like, there's Why, you know how old women in Europe, you know how they're always so judgmental. They're very judgmental. They just stare at you. Dressed and, all in black, mourning their hubbies. Yes. Yeah. She was very judgmental. Anyway, but she ended up moving, thank God. So I but this butcher, his name was I can't remember his name, but the it was called Luis. Like, you know, Carnes Luis. Mm-hmm. Uh and it was in this really the cool meats market. Of Luis. The meats of Luis. And <laughs> he let me taste every like different really? meat that I wanted to, and he was Whoa. super friendly and I had some of the most delicious hummus, the, the most incredible chorizo I've ever had in my life. What it, made it so incredible? Dry it, chorizo? Dry chorizo. It was, but it wasn't, it was so delicious and it, I can't describe it oh except that it was really good. Yum. Um, it's really smoky and meaty. <laughs> well, that's the thing. <laughs> wow. I like, thank you so much for that fake laugh. I feel better about myself. <laughs> Yeah. How about that? That's a genuine laugh. Mm-hmm. You know I'm laughing when I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, stop doing that noise. <laughs> evil creature. <laughs> um, anyway, the you know, that's some of the best part of life. If you have an opportunity to travel, and even if you're out there, you're listening, and you're like, oh, I can't travel to the, you know, country of Europe. <laughs> the you continent know what? You know me. I'm, I am real cheap, and we really, we yeah. shared an Airbnb, and it was not expensive to go out to eat. And I think the most that's expensive true. thing choleta they have this like giant ribeye mm. steak everywhere in the north because mm. we were in san sebastian and every restaurant had their a f- big grilled steak with potatoes and roasted piquillo peppers any sauces with the steak no spain doesn't like sauces they don't like condiments they don't like so they have romesco sauce they do have so yeah they do have something what about aioli they do have aioli yeah but it's not put on it. like you wouldn't put aioli in a sandwich that would be like why would you do that really yeah it's strange Where do you put it on a French fry? On, on yeah, pa- on bravas. Bravas? Yeah. Papas bravas? Mix, yeah, Patatas bravas? Patatas bravas. Patatas bravas. We did have a really, one of those um, uh, black rice dishes, kind of like a oh pay, but it God. was with mussels that and squid. That gets aioli, right? That gets a big dollop of aioli. Yeah. Mix it around. Oh, it's so delicious. That's the most delicious. I felt so, I know it sounds silly, but like obviously we're cooks and when I travel, it's so exciting to go to a country that takes food so seriously. Absolutely. And every every bar has a different you know every it's like spain and rome you know right they all have their things like you're going to go to every restaurant and every restaurant has to have spanish tortilla you know in rome everywhere has to have a cacio pepe, pepe yeah and then you're like that's so weird that all like yeah i don't know ten thousand restaurants in a particular city mm-hmm. would all have to have the same menu i know it's but really they all crazy. do it in their own unique way and some suck some are great just right like, well it's like pride and the fact that like it's different than what we do here is we're well, first of all there's a much more kind of like diverse restaurant culture in new york city of course but you know i think there like when you go away to like you know cities like madrid rome barcelona whatever uh, Paris, you know, the standards that are in every kind of restaurant, it's like almost like a competition. Oh, our yeah. onion soup is our, yeah, our, exactly. You know. 
is more fabulous than the one down and you know, the other quarter. So I think that's kind of an interesting thing about traveling. And I was going to just say about traveling that it's one of the things that makes living in this trash fire of a world like worth it. <laughs> and if you can't afford to actually travel to Europe, like there's certainly plenty of things that you can do to travel yeah, locally, find out a different weird city, like near your city or a strange thing that you didn't know was in like the town next to you, you know, just, just somewhere new. And it was exciting. Yeah. It was exactly what the doctor ordered. Yeah. And by doctor, I mean, um, my, <laughs> my psychiatrist <laughs> so I could get off the medication. I just picture you having a doctor kind of <laughs> yeah. like Hunter S. Thompson. The doctor's like, doctor. as you uh, wean yourself off these psychotropics, we're, you're going to have to go to Spain and have a... Yeah, so I followed his orders. And I'm, look, I'm, look, I'm happy. He's like, you're going to need to eat 10 pounds of calamari sandwich. What are, what are those things called? Bocadillo de calamari. Bocadillo de calamari? Yeah, so bocadillo, and it's just a dry... It's a baguette with yeah. fried calamari. Delicious? Nope. I love it. It's good. You, I mean, did you wish there was aioli on it? I did. Yeah. I was like, this would be really good maybe with some, maybe as a thinly sliced tomato yeah. or maybe like some aioli, <laughs> some scallions. I was trying to, I was like, well, how could I do it? I was like, well, I could do some mustard. You know, it's like maybe a little, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You want like, to, what if I made it Vietnamese style? That would be good too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And they were like, get the fuck yeah, out of here. Like, this no. is not how it, no. Oh, this is how it is. I had one thing and I'll stop talking, but I asked this girl and I forgot that the word for Sherry is Jerez. Oh, wow. Jerez. Okay. And I, so I went and I was like, oh, hola, it's like, favor, it's like, me gustaría dos uh, copas de sh- sh- uh, sherry. And she's like, sherry? No tenemos sherry. And she was such, she was so mean to me. And she's like, oh my God. No tenemos sherry. I was like, no tienes de like oloroso or manzanillo, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, we don't have that. And I'm like, and then she, she said, said it in English. English. I was like, oh okay, well, if you knew that sh- she was so mean to me. And did you leave? She gave us a free bowl of olives and it was delicious. Uh, oh, amazing. I wonder if she's... Did you guys become friends in the end? No. We hated each other. We saw it. <laughs> Got a huge cat fight in the back. Stared each other Shows. down the whole entire way. See these scratches on my back? <laughs> I, yeah. Should have seen her. I, I had a bite of her ear. It was delicious. <laughs> so what have I been doing? Nothing really. I mean, I've been going to the farmer's market a lot. I'm trying to think of what I've made. I it's just made that, a, Yeah, it's that weird end of the season, right? Like, it's, I think it's an amazing end to the season. I love... Well, it's been very warm. September and October... Is my favorite time at the farmer's market. There were still peaches and plums. I know. That's very and strange. And quinces. And plums. <laughs> yeah. And have, talked, have you missed talking with no, your I, friends I, I are about care. plums all no, this because time? because I'm moved on to quinces and pawpaws. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> Excuse there. Excuse all of us. Yeah. Guys, it's no longer a plum cast. It's a, it's a prune cast. It's a quince cast. <laughs> <laughs> Starring your host, Quince. Yeah. <laughs> quince Scott yeah. and the Quince Tangora. Anyway, um, I'm loving the farmer's market. I uh, saw the most big, beautiful cabbage of my life yesterday I as I walked one. by. And then Four I bucks. called Breton and I was like, you, ha- I couldn't buy it because I'm going away. So I would have nothing to do with it. But I thought about buying it. And mm. I'm like... How how big, could I giant eat this savoy? Those ruffled fifteen pound cabbage, probably. No, I don't know, it's humongous. 10 pound, it's probably ten pound. It cabbage. was probably five pounds. But. I was like, how could I eat this three hundred pound cabbage in two days before I leave to Rome? And then I was like, I will be so gassy on the plane if I try to eat you the five cabbage soup diet before I cabbage leave. soup diet. That's no, the perfect thing. You I'll lose be, ten pounds before you go to Rome, and then you'll come yeah, out even. That's true. Um, although I would be like, do you ever hear that story of the person who like? farted on the plane so badly they had to like land the plane early yeah <laughs> they probably that, that. tried to eat a 10 pound cabbage like, before okay they hold on before i go this beautiful savoy cabbage you would oh my god how could you pass it up 
I immediately went, I bought the cabbage yesterday before and I'm making stuffed cabbage leaves, of course. Perfect. What are you going to do with the center of the cabbage? Well, I had thought about it and I'm going to try to come I'm up with. To, well, I'm going to shred it and put it in the mixture. Yeah. That's what my mom used to do with the sauce. She used to put the, oh, okay. or she still does, my grandma too. She used to put the middle of the cabbage chopped up and braised in the sauce. Maybe I'll do that instead. I kind of like that better. Yeah. I also just fucking love roasted cabbage. Like Every cabbage roasted is, cabbage. Roasted cabbage is. For anyone out there who thinks they don't like cabbage for some reason, you don't know from cabbage. I'll tell you what. You do a nice, simple roast cabbage and throw some sausage in there and some. Oh, my And own. put some clarified butter in it. Yeah. The best. And like sprinkle some toasted caraway seeds or something like that onto anything. I, oh, my God. I love. Yeah, I think cabbage, actually, to be honest oh, with it's you. It's a cabbage cast. It's a cabbage. Yeah, well, okay. Welcome to the Thanks. cabbage cast. Boop, 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 boop. Um, <laughs> I think cabbage I could possibly that. be in my top three favorite vegetables of all time. Think about it for mm-hmm. just a minute. Sauerkraut, mm-hmm. coleslaw, kimchi, kimchi. Wow. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> that, still waiting. Things are <laughs> what else? No, but roasted cabbage is great. When uh, At Brucey, for anyone who doesn't know, from uh, every single time we do this podcast, I talk about, yeah. I'm like the person who scored a touchdown one time in high school and was like, that one time yeah, yeah. at that game that was I was yes, so was, good at, remember? Oh, you were homecoming queen. Let's talk ah. about it again. <laughs> she wrote, you rode around on a Corvette. It was wonderful. <laughs> no, but at Brucey, we used to do um, a roasted cabbage wedge uh, as like a wedge salad. It was delicious. Instead oh, of an yes, iceberg yes. wedge, we do a roasted cabbage wedge. That does sound delicious. It was really good. It was really, really good. I would try, you know, I went on that keto diet a couple years ago for a month. Okay. And cabbage was, you know, high up on the list because it's yeah. really, it's fibrous. It has yeah. virtually no carbohydrates. And if you cover it in butter, you know, if you do <laughs> the keto method, which is covering every, it's like the modern, what's that guy's name? Atkins. The At- yeah, Atkins diet. Totally perfect. It's like an Atkins diet. Like ca- have cabbage with one pound of bacon, <laughs> a half a stick of butter, <laughs> two bulletproof coffees, <laughs> voila. And I did. You just strangely you do, do lose, lose weight. weight. But then I got But then you die hung- of a heart attack immediately. Die of a heart attack. <laughs> and then I got real hungry for other flavors after the month that I yeah. gained more weight. Oh, wow. Because I was back. Because you were like, I need bread. Yep. Yeah. But, <laughs> but like when I have bread, I now need like a pound of butter on it. Yeah, that's I'm the so problem. used to butter. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I guess when you eat carbs, you're not supposed to eat fat and carbs together. That's the, if that's you the thing. Not be, you know, if you're minding your, you know, that's the whole thing too. I was just like, when I'm traveling, I was like, I, of we, course. at one point we had two steaks in one day, we one Great. for lunch, one for dinner. I said, I don't care. I'm probably not going to have a... St- I don't make steaks that often at home. I and I you thought... You should have had three steaks if you could. Yeah. I Four. tried. I couldn't, just simply couldn't <laughs> squeeze it. It was like... You're just like... Someone's like... Put, I'm picturing Preston like putting steak in your mouth and pressing his foot down on it. Like trying to like squish it down. Like, Can you swallow? No. no keep you know, going. You know like that scene in, uh, in the end of Fargo with like the wood chipper and he's like trying to just shove his foot Steve Buscemi's foot into the wood chipper and he's like trying to push it down with a log. That's right. That's what I'm picturing, but with your stomach and steak. <laughs> My goodness. Well, I came, you know, first thing I did when I got back home was, I mean, you know, that's that pan con tomate, mm-hmm. pan con tomate if you're in Perfect. Catalan. And I saw, it was so fun to see people, you know, actually make it. Yeah. Because I learned from, I learned from an old Madrid grandmother and she used to grate the tomatoes. You on, said that, yeah. But I, when I was at this restaurant in Barcelona, the woman, she was crazy. It was like a diner. But it was like a Catalan diner. It was really okay. good food. That's where I had that black rice. And they, you know, they slice open the bread and they grill the bread. And then they, and she like grabs the tomato. Yeah. And like smashes the tomato with her bare hands. 
squeezes it yeah. open like it's a you know pulsating heart and That's then like amazing rubbed it onto the bread uh, and so it made the bread taste like an, it almost had like an english muffin texture oh my own so it's like you know olive oil it had that like it's the best oh uh, but you said no garlic in barcelona i don't know i saw some people doing it but i heard that traditionally it's not but i like to put it on mine yeah this I morning i made enough. some i pre- didn't give it to preston because he didn't want some so why not uh he just didn't want his breath to smell like garlic oh interesting because one time when I first met him, I yelled at him and I was like, oh, your breath is so garlicky. And now I've scarred his enjoyment. Oh, you scarred for, him yeah, for life. Yeah. I've ruined it. Yeah. Well, we're going to therapy and anyway. Oh, really? Yeah. The same. No, not really. Okay. But you're the same drug therapist. Yeah, yeah. He's like, just take two of <laughs> just these take three two of these and everything's going to be perfect forever. <laughs> one, one in the morning, one in the <laughs> afternoon and ambient night and block out all memories. That's funny. I, uh, I told you this story before, but the listeners might like to hear it. It's a travel story. And then we can get into our topic. Mm, but um, the yeah. first time that I ever traveled abroad, my friend, who will remain unnamed, you know who you are if you're listening, mm-hmm. gave, I know me, this friend. gave me what uh, I had asked for was a, Zan- was a Xanax. A Xanax. I was nervous traveling. Yes. She gave me what she said was a Xanax, but what was actually an ecstasy pill. Mm-hmm. And so somewhere, <laughs> and it was also the 4th of July. And I took this and then I started flying out of, J- here flying out of JFK, JFK uh, at like 9 p.m. So we're flying above the fireworks and I'm like, I'm rolling like I had taken ecstasy before. So I knew what it felt like. And I was rolling. And then somebody fucking died on the plane also. Did, and you didn't imagine it. They were 100 percent dead. I did not imagine it. And they it was fucking crazy. They died and I was sitting like... Who are they sitting next to and what do they do with the body? The body? Was, I was in the back of the... I was one row in front of the dead body. So they just left it there? No. No, it was a tent. I mean, I knew that they died too because they didn't stop the... Like, well, I mean, they covered the person up. They said there was an emergency. I saw the sick passenger being attended to. I was freaking out for yes. several reasons. I used to be much more afraid of flying. Well, yeah, naturally. And, and afraid of dying. And dying while flying. And then here's someone dying while flying. And fly die. They covered them up and like they didn't stop early. Like, you know, if it could have yeah, been. Yeah, what are they going to do? Yeah. They didn't like, oh, we'll stop in London or something or turn around. So. Wow. How about yeah. that? Well, it just Horrible. goes to show make sure you Google the back of your pill first. Nowadays. Exactly. Don't take it if it's from X. Whatever. I was going to say my friend's name, but that yeah, would be yeah. horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take it if it's from blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah, who lives at Dickity Doop Street. If it's Marissa Sweetalini, do not take her. <laughs> she does not have real Xanax. Don't trust her. I don't recommend it. Marissa, if you're listening, screw it. Another time when I was flying, this is right before my, I was in a very horrible accident when I was younger. And uh, right be- on my way out before the accident happened, I was flying to San Francisco. And I this is a time when I actually did take Xanax. I was so afraid of flying. I mm-hmm. took three Xanax oh, wow. and I drank a bunch. I was like 21 or 21 years old. And like, I just remember and- passing out in my coat head first. I was in a middle seat. All I remember is waking up and being like, I need a Bloody Mary. And I was just like, Bloody Mary, like a Bloody Mary monster, just like <laughs> running around the aisles, like Bloody Mary. And they're like, ma'am, get back to your seat immediately. And I was like, like, okay. Not until I have a Mr. <laughs> Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. T's <laughs> plain Bloody Mary. Not without my Sacramento tomato juice. And, and isn't that weird vodka. on planes? Everybody has to get tomato juice. You have yeah. Okay. Uh, here's required plain food or plain drinks. Yeah. Ginger ale. Everybody suddenly drinks ginger mm-hmm. ale and yeah. everybody drinks tomato juice. No one ever, after the year 1970, I think, ever drank tomato juice just plain by itself ever, unless they're on a plane. Unless they're on a plane. They're yep. like, oh, yes, tomato juice for me. Uh, tomato yeah, to, juice uh, used to be an appetizer Yeah. in the 1960s. 
Interesting that you say that. Well, you know what? This is so funny. I'm holding in my hand here. Uh, oh, sorry. Different, wrong hand. Oh, that. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> Don't look at the hands, are you creep? Why am I holding that in my hand during a podcast? You may Brenton's wonder. holding one hand is on the microphone. Just the other kidding. hand is holding. I'm looking his penis. at a cookbook, and actually, the title <laughs> of this book is "The Good Cook." It's a it's a series of cookbooks. And this one, what does that say? Zara? Variety meats. Variety That's an meats. awesome cookbook. Did you get that at the place in Long Island? Yes. At, the uh, Holiday House? And look at this. This one, it's so funny because the consulting chef for this book was Richard Olney. Okay. Who was that famous? He's, he wrote like the French menu cookbook. Uh, never He's, heard of him. Uh, he, uh, Alice Waters says that when she opened Chez Panisse, she, uh, the restaurant was based off of that. Oh, really? That, one of the cookbooks, like the French menu cookbook, I think it was. Oh, my God. From Written by Rich Oldenay, who was a, a fabulous homosexual living in, in France. Fun. During the 60s, when MFK Fisher was there, Julia Child was there. And in we'll get France. To, yeah, yeah. So our topic today, you guys, is the 1960s. And Breton is taking the angle of a very, French food. Yeah, sharp angle. What? Nice angle. What do you mean? Was that too know. far? Was that too far of a jump? No. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing the 1960s anyway. Bye. Listen, it's a big topic, and you had to pick something, right? Yeah. Well, I have a really good story, but I want to hear what's going on. We're doing some low stuff, right? We're doing highs and lows. Should we do the low first or the high first? Wait, are we? Uh, low. Want to want to start with the mm-hmm. low? Yeah, really? Yeah. Okay. It's up That's to you. good. No, end on a high note. I think you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think we should end on a high note. Okay. So we're doing the 1960s today. We were like, this is kind of a cool topic, and we're trying this new format here on LAB of you know it is about the highs and lows of everything edible, spreadable, and pourable. And so each week for now on, it could change next week. We yeah. No one can tell us what to do. You know what? Madonna's except for our mommies. Are, yeah, yeah. Except for our moms. <laughs> Listen, Madonna changed her look every. <laughs> oh yeah, that's Time true. For a new look. Exactly. And this we're is, a new look. Yeah, and or share Lady but, Gaga. Yeah, you know what? Guess what? It's 2018 and we've only <laughs> it's it's 2018 actually we start and we started the podcast in 2018, so therefore. Exactly. And this is episode 18. Episode 18. Okay. So anyway, we're going to try to do each week uh, one person will do a high and one person will do a low story on the same topic, which I think is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's that's pretty radical. So anyway, my low topic for the 1960s today is about um, the Vietnam War. Ah, so Vietnam big, War. big part of the 60s. Um, the war actually started in the year 1954, although it had really been going on, like tensions and things have been of building, course, of course, yeah. surrounding communism for some time. And as we all know, or maybe some, some people don't know, essentially the Vietnam War started as uh, kind of a reaction to the fear that communism would spread throughout Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of going to talk about like different, two different things about food during the Vietnam war. So just a couple of Vietnam war facts, uh, Eisenhower, Dwight D. Eisenhower was president, uh, when it actually began in 1954, May 7th, 1954, the Viet Minh forces won the battle of Dien Bien Phu and ended the French involvement in Indochina. So after that happened, uh, there was the Geneva conference and the French and the Viet Minh, uh, negotiated a ceasefire agreement. So that's kind of how everything is panning out. Uh, then Ho Chi Minh takes control of the North and uh, the French educa- educated Emperor Bao Dai uh, takes control of the South. Um, Eisenhower was president when it began, as I said, and when it ended in 1975? 
1973, I'm sorry. So when it ended in 1973, uh, Gerald Ford was president. Just a couple of fun facts here. Um, really fun because mm-hmm. everyone knows how fun the Vietnam War was. Yeah. That's what it's known for. It was the most America's most fun war. Yeah. <laughs> um, at the end of the war, by the time it ended, an estimated two million Vietnamese people were killed, and three million were wounded, and another twelve million became refugees. Ouch! Really horrible. I went to the the Vietnamese the the war museum in. You've been to Vietnam. Yeah, and where I, is and it? It's Ho Chi Minh just, City. Yeah, Ho Chi Minh City, Saigon, whatever you want to, you know the old right, Saigon. Right. But it's interesting because, you know, <laughs> their perspective of, I mean, is very anti-American. It's like, oh, look really? at this horrible country and what they did to us. Yeah. So the whole museum is really like, wow, like then American soldiers did this, these horrible beasts and humans, which is true. Yeah, it, when absolutely. you see it, you're like, wow, they. Absolutely. And look. also, you know, American soldiers at the time had horrible things done to them. It was a horrible thing. It was young kids and just it was being, a horrible time. everyone was just brutalized and you know the people who were sending the orders didn't get affected obviously as yeah, exactly. things ha- tend to happen uh just send your minions over to a jungle to ruin everyone's yeah, lives so and i've then, decided this we our our cabinet has decided this yeah. will happen really 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 bad oh, and obviously a really disgusting horrible things happened uh so about fifty-eight thousand two hundred people american people soldiers were killed in Vietnam. Uh, and the U S between the years of 1965 and 1973, the nation spent over $120 billion on the Vietnam war. 120 yeah. billions of doll, not doll hairs, but dollars, actual dollars, real dollars, dollars make sense. So, um, during That's the Vietnam true. war, one of the really awful kind of things they used, um, as chemical warfare was called agent orange, agent orange yep. um, which was made of a horrible, 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 horrible chemical called dioxin dioxin. And basically the U S was using this chemical warfare. The reason I'm talking about it as in the food podcast is because it was meant mostly to like poison all of the crops. And all the food. Oh, okay, so they're dusting right. it on everything. So that, yeah, kill the food stores. Exactly. Stop the war. People can't eat. Exactly. Now, bear in mind that people in Vietnam prior to the war are, all, are already very poor and living, you know, literally dirt poor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like this is just like a extremely rich country. I mean, a lot of these places in the jungle where people are living, they're, you know, living on rice patties. They're eating rice. They're yeah, cooking. Living on, off the land. You know, off- they're leaving, living in shacks. So it's not, you know. <clears throat> so... It's killing all of their crops. And then when they when they eat anything, then it's causing cancer mm-hmm. in them. And the same goes for the American soldiers, too. So American soldiers are, are also occasionally, you know, I mean, they're living and they're dusting the fields with Agent Orange. And then they're going to go down to the fields and they might drink from a stream or they might course, catch a yeah. fish or, like, eat some rice. I mean, anything. Right. So All goes in the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Groundwater so, and- yeah. Um, during the Vietnam War... Um, there was a operation called uh, a code name Operation Ranch Hand, where they sprayed more than 20 million gallons of various uh, herbicides over Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos between 1961 and 1971. And that wasn't just Agent Orange. They also had like Agent Agent Pink, Agent Blue, but Agent Orange was the most popular one that they used. Um, they would use aircrafts, and they would also just like spray it out of trucks and stuff. Is- and so it was really, really, really bad for for absolutely everyone. So. Uh, a couple of our favorite people uh, were responsible for manufacturing Agent Orange. Ever heard of a little company called Monsanto? 
Yeah. Oh, I like that company. Not only do they uh, <laughs> produce a bunch of genetically modified seeds and, you know, pump our supermarkets full of watery, nutritionless vegetables, but they also were responsible for uh, manufacturing Agent Orange, which is super awesome. Also, so did Dow Chemical. You're also on blast, um, which is funny because I was just rewatching Mad Men and there was a huge thing about how about Dow Chemical and producing Agent crazy. Orange. Yeah. The nation reported that some 400,000 people were killed or maimed as a result of exposure to herbicides like Agent Orange. And in 1979, after the war was over, a class action lawsuit on behalf of 2.4 million veterans was filed against the United States of America. Um, and the chemical producers that made Agent Orange, and they ended up at a $180 million settlement, which sounds like a lot, but it's not for 2.4 million people. Yeah, no. All those soldiers, 2.4 million soldiers? I can't even believe there was 2.4 million veterans that were... Yeah, affected. That's actually a crazy, mind-blowing number. I didn't even think of that Yeah, try to imagine 2.4... I can't even imagine 40 people. I know. I mean, and we think of this like... I don't know. I just can't imagine our friends and like colleagues people, yeah, people and people you know. like going over there. So that was just kind of like a little mini snippet of something I wanted to mention just because it was food related. Obviously this is an extreme low. Um, and then yeah, I, I, mean, I wanted to as low as it gets, it's as low as it gets. It's like poisoning people's food. It's, it's so fucked up. It's just, really, it's from the, it's from the inside. It's, it's the double you're just eating poison. You're like, here, here's like, you know, you're going to get and you're not just going to die. You're going to get really sick. And like women and children. And I actually, you know, I always find like the whole women and children th- and men. Yeah. yeah, Everybody grown, innocent men, innocent women, people children that are just living their lives. Yeah. They're a- just like, hey, I'm just trying to like get by every day. Like, oh, cool. I already had a hard time. Thanks for now. Poisoning my rice patty. Awesome. That's yeah. great. America. Yeah. America, the greatest country in the world. Um, okay. So another thing that was, you know, the big food thing, uh, during Vietnam that I wanted to mention was how soldiers typically had to eat. Obviously they didn't get to eat like amazing food while you're over. Yeah. They weren't having, they weren't having banh mi's and no and and spring rolls. They were pretty, from my research, some, some articles I read said that, uh, you know, yeah, we'd like go into a city and we'd, you know, try to eat the local food, but mostly people were like just afraid of it. And they'd try to find places that like would serve hamburgers and stuff. Or like, you know, it would be too dangerous to go into cities or when they could, people might like poison them. So soldiers primarily, uh, you know, sustained on the rations that were provided to them. And then when they were in, in combat, like not at base camp, they had something called C rations or Charlie rations. Charlie rations. These were like, uh, meant to only be eaten for like two to three days tops because it's really like bad stuff and everything was in a can. Um, so some things they would have would be like ham and lima beans and like a can of cheese, cheese, plastic. One of the ingredients, if you read these old 1960s cans is cheese, plastic. That's what it says on the cheese and crackers. Cheese made with plastic? Basically. It was well, like I'm, cheese whiz, like cheese plastic. And they would get things plastic. like cigarettes in there. They would, so a sea ration would be like a can of meat, cheese and crackers, like some cookies. Cheese um, and crackers. Yeah, like a cola, like some kind of, it was really bad. And then they'd have like toothpaste, cigarettes. And then they'd have Tabasco sauce. Mm, yeah. Yes. And so Tabasco... <laughs> Actually, came I need a up. little, I need a little, little, uh, little pizzazz in my food, my canned lima beans over here. Yeah, they're like, well, I want to zhuzh it up. So Tabasco actually came up with an entire cookbook called the Charlie Rations Cookbook. 
All right. So yeah, the Charlie Ration cookbook, um, you know, it was quoted uh, some of the end part is GI Joe has gone gourmet. These recipes were created for the fighting man in the field. Bon appetit. And it's like animated and has all these pictures of soldiers, you know, huddled around a campfire cooking and they give you a list of suggestions of things you can add. They say the following ingredients may be found in the battle uh, in the battle theater by begging, barring, or bartering when available. These items have been incorporated with the sea rations to bring out their hidden secrets, whatever they may be. Oh my gosh, I'm looking at this recipe. Breast of chicken under bullets. Yeah, they're crazy. I don't... Can you read out, like what it says? What to do? Do you put it under the bullets? Oh, wait, let's see. Breast of chicken under a glass was never intended for areas where the glass and shrapnel fly. This dish can be prepared in quick time using only the basic sea ration. Heat the bone chicken in a meat can. Melt the cheese. Oh, by the way, I read that they used to use like C4, um, their C4 canisters to like heat their sea rations. Really? Yeah. And they used to fish with grenades. They used to throw grenades into the river and like blow up a river and then all the fish would die and that's how they would fish. Oh, wow. What a- Heat the can of bone chicken in a meat can. Melt the cheese bread. That's what I was talking about, cheese plastic. If butter, oil, or fat is or available, fat. add two spoons. Season with salt and pepper and, of course, Tabasco. Yeah. And uh, Try this, Tabasco. And put some Tabasco. Cut a loaf of white bread in half, trimmed as so desired. Place a mound of chicken over each white bread and cover each with hot melted cheese sauce. This should stick to your ribs. Actually, it stays on your ribs and you can never get rid of it. Yeah, it's like, and it's full of Agent Orange. This, this plastic will will latch itself onto your ribs. I wonder why it says under bullets. It makes it sound like you would like cook it under the, I guess it's just when bullets are coming at you and you're like almost going to die. You're like, you know what? I'm really hungry I for love like how a the, cheese, the cheesy ch- melt. <laughs> yeah, the, the cookbook writer is like, oh, oh, here. They're all sitting around office. They're like, I got a good one. I got a good one. So wait, there's soldiers. They're all depressed. They're probably like worried if they're going to die every day. I have a good one. Let's lighten it up with a little humor. <laughs> Trapped in a prison camp? No big deal. Make this goulash. Yeah. Prison camp. Yeah. Prison camp goulash. You just imagine it. <laughs> yeah. Wait, it's actually happening. Okay. Yeah. So this is a. So yeah, foxhole dinner for two. Uh, soup du jour which is a can of ham and lima beans, which apparently was the worst one sea ration to get. They're like, if you got the ham and lima beans, you just wouldn't eat it. Um, I saw a guy on YouTube today who was opening up. He found a a thing of sea rations from the 60s and he opened it live on YouTube. It's actually really interesting to watch. And he's like, the smell was so bad from it that he was like vomiting. I mean, I could imagine. Yeah. Tin can, casserole, pork, mandarin. Oh man. But anyway, a lot of times I was reading that the, uh, the soldiers would say like, you know, they gave you all these suggestions for this book and they're like, oh, well, let's just catch a fish. And then, you know, you pour like the turkey soup over it and they're like, we can't catch a fish. And if we did, it would be full of Agent Orange. So yeah, it wasn't very easy. practical. It was just, I guess, more like to offer people a little pick me up, you know, perhaps maybe it was just all humor. But I think I mean, that's how seems- I wonder if it was I wonder if it was uh, paid for by the Tabasco Association of as if I, as if there is one, the Tabasco, uh, the, so big Tabasco, big Tabasco of the United States, because isn't Tabasco from Mexico? I, that's interesting. Yes. I think I watched a documentary yeah, about, yeah. Th- about Tabasco, how it was, you know, it's barrel aged for two or three years. Or something. Well, maybe that was the big joke. Mexico is just like here, here's Here a Americans. cookbook. Here's a cookbook, America, about what to make when you're in the Vietnam war. Like the, try this combat zone. Boogaroo, burgoo, a burgoo. What's it's a like, burgoo? It's a burger and a goo. A gooey burger. <laughs> a gooey burger. <laughs> a burger soup. It's like chili. Yeah. Anyway, patrol chicken soup is another one. Beef, st- and then at the very end, beef steak and crew, and like <laughs> beef steak en crew, because that's exactly what you're thinking. Like, 
Oh, be, oh, the encru, I guess. So encru is like in pastry, right? Exactly. Um, wrapped. And the, I guess the crew in this in this situation is white bread, it says. So you take some white bread. You know what? What a simple way to do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Ceasefire casserole. Yeah. Oh, my God. Ceasefire casserole. This is... <laughs> Hopefully it was Every recipe has say. Tabasco in it. Anyway, I a thought boss. that was funny. And, and a low. It must have been really, really hard to be over there. I really just, when I think about the Vietnam, Vietnam War, I think of all these like teenagers who just like graduate high school and they're like, cool, now I'm in Vietnam. Uh, I haven't watched life. the Ken Burns Vietnam documentary I watched yet. it with my dad. It's many, many it's hours. Incredible. Right, right? It's like yeah. 12 hours to 15 hours or something. It's incredible. I need to watch that. And uh, yeah. But yeah, when I was at the museum and you look at the pictures and I mean, that can only do so much just by looking at a picture, but... Yeah. Uh, my dad was in the Army Reserves. Okay. Because he was in medical school, so he didn't actually get drafted. Oh, wow. Luckily, he was actually helping out with, uh, you know, pre... At the at the base camps before they went oh, out. Oh, got it, got it, So got he it. was volunteering, doing medical work. Okay. That was actually how he avoided it. In the it, States. In the States. Interesting. Because had he been graduated as a doctor, they probably would have sent him totally. over there because they would have needed medical and then you wouldn't have been born. And I wouldn't have been born and you wouldn't yeah. be listening to my damn voice. Yeah. Uh, my dad told me that he avoided getting drafted because, okay, so he goes, he had like a bad number. You know how they used to do it? The draft was based on like numbers. Mm-hmm. If you had like a high number, you would be okay. And a low number, maybe, pardon my ignorance, but maybe it's backwards. But anyway, it was a number system. So my dad had like a bad number. So he was almost certain that he was going to get drafted. Yeah. So they call his number and he has to go in for like a check. And he's like, I stayed up all night the night before and I did acid and I did all these drugs. Yeah. He's like, I smoked weed. I got wasted. I smoked like a million cigarettes just so I had to be as like terrible, like, you know, downtrodden as possible. I look like a scumbag. Crazy person. Exactly. Um, so he had his friend who was like a drug dealer. I think my dad was even selling acid at the time. So he wasn't, he got really messed up. Right. So he goes in the next day. He's like, I'm clearing every station. He's like, everyone's like, yep, you look fine. You look fine. You look fine. And so he gets to the last station. It's like the physical examination or something. Mm-hmm. And my dad had very bad scoliosis. Um, and okay. he pump, He said he popped out his back, like the, his you know twisted spine as much as he possibly could and started walking over with like this weird limpy limp. And he gets over and they're like, yep, you're not going. And he's like, no, 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 really, I can do it. I can do it. I really want to. And they're like, sorry, you're not going. You're not going to fight anywhere. Like, get out of here. And they shoot him out. And he never went to the war. And he never had to go to war. He would have definitely died. My dad was not not a fighter. Maybe he would have been like the cook. He would have been like, all right, let's bring this cookbook to life. Maybe. Like, hold on, kids. I see a good one. Uh, Burgoot. (laughs) Burgoot. Oh, wait, hold on. Somebody warm up the bullets. (laughs) Burgoot pot. All right. Now the bullets are actually gonna they're gonna be mushrooms, right? So you kinda that's where you got it from. Yeah. So anyway, that's my story. That's the low of the nineteen sixties well, food this? scene. Now I you know, here's the thing, because when I looked at the sixties, Zara and I are kind of obsessed with the sixties. We are. We're we were kind of born in the wrong decade, it we're seems. We're in the wrong decade. There's something you think you know, when you think of the nineteen sixties, and I think in the food sense, um, you know, everything that was like when post World War II and everything was really starting to, you know, pop and things were exciting and exoticism yeah. was everywhere. Ooh, quiche. Like, yeah, like quiche and phyllo pastry <laughs> and baklava. Yeah. Hummus. Uh, whoa. Okay, so you know, some of those things that you think of the sixties that were popular were something yeah. like Lipton onion soup tip. Still right? still great. French onion dip, the same things, you know. Uh everything was encased in gelatin. Because why gelatin. wouldn't you? Yeah. Uh, and I had a whole story about Jello, but that's a different different topic. Mm-hmm. Meatballs and grape jelly. 
Everybody oh, yeah. was like, Swedish meatballs. But in America, we're like, well, just take some packaged meat and, you yeah. know, put a... My grandma used to make that. She made her meatballs with something called sauce or turo, which doesn't really exist anymore. But it's basically like oh, a wow. weird mushroom tomato sauce. And then she'd put in a can of that, this mushroom tomato sauce, sauce or turo, and a well, can of uh, cranberry sauce. That is so crazy. Chicken ollie king, you know, like clams casino, stuffed celery and cherry tomatoes, all those, all those fun, fun stuff. That if you make it good, you know, uh, pigs in a blanket were popular then. Yes, hors d'oeuvres galore. And so, you know, there is this. Um, I started thinking about like where I would want to take this story, and it made me think of uh, certain French food. Okay, right. That's really in America. You know, we're all ever who isn't obsessed with Julia Child. How can you not? Yeah, yeah. I am more of like a I'm more of a Fanny Crowder kind of a person. But mm-hmm. now let me tell you something. French food. Why do you think French food became so popular in the 1960s? And there's a couple. You could think of a couple of reasons. Uh, that's why. a really good question. You know what? I mean, I, why don't you just tell me? Well, yeah. My brain hurts. Well, I'm tired I know everything because I was alive in the 60s. <laughs> just kidding. I have no idea. You're a vampire. But based based on certain readings, and I have deduced the answer. And tell okay, me. so there was a woman. Now this woman just died last year. She was one of the most famous cookbook publishers of our modern time, and her name was, you might know who she is, Judith Jones. Okay. Now, Judith Jones, uh, bless her heart, died last year. She was old. Uh, She lived in the East Coast. And she was the, she became, at one point, the publisher for Knopf Publishing. Okay. Now, guess who Knopf, Knopf. Knopf, that is a hard, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Knopf. Knopf. So, Knopf published the 1960, was it 1961 or 62? Uh, the mastering the art of French of cooking. Of course. Now Julia listen, I, of course, everybody knows about that Magnum cookbook. Magnum Opus. Magnum Opus. And the cool, what I thought, even kind of like a mini low within that story was that the her manuscript was rejected first because uh, Julia Child was still living in in France, I believe. Oh. And so, you know, her, she, with her cookbook writer, who, by the way, I think probably wrote a lot of it, Simone Beck, mm-hmm. if you're really into those little cookbook worlds. Anyway, uh, they had tried to publish the cookbook and it couldn't, it wasn't getting published. Right. And I Judith this. Jones, okay, so Judith Jones, I'm, this is just, I'm basically having a little bit of a twist of a story. There's Please. Not, but uh, is that she was this, um, she was a cook and she would throw dinner parties and she left home at an early age. Uh, I mean, she was, she was born in 1924 from Vermont and that's where she died also. Uh, but she was very well traveled and went and met her husband, who was also a cook. And they decided to, you know, they wrote cookbooks together. Of course, you know, lifelong process. Right. Uh, so that was really interesting. Now, just because Julia Child uh, had this program, and she was, it was like right timing for her. And this is where the story gets real juicy, folks. Okay, All yes. right, really? All right, get Hold that on. popcorn. All right, drizzle <laughs> that extra butter. That's right. Just like we told you, she put some Parmesan on that popcorn. It's delicious. Uh, you don't have white cheddar pow- powder? No problem. Ooh, white, <laughs> white cheddar, cheddar powder. powder. Okay. So th- now here's a little interesting thing that I thought about the 60s. Go ahead. You know, America, and I'm speaking from an American perspective, mm-hmm. but uh, there was something that changed within the government, and it had to do with the president. Mm-hmm. And there was a president called, uh, you might have heard of him, JFK? I have heard of him, yes. John F. Uh, he, they, he was named after the airport, right? Yep, he was okay. named after the airport. Perfect. Exactly. Perfect. First, there was the airport, and then, then the, the man. Yeah, <laughs> his parents loved so, the airport. Uh, no, John F. Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, and of course his most glamorous wife. Uh, so glamorous, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. And so there was a thing; they were role models yeah. for many people in this country because, uh, and they loved French food. 
And specifically Jacqueline Kennedy. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, this is what happened. So, like, in the late 50s, and I didn't know this, but before that, the food in the White House, I guess, was not necessarily that important. And there was, it was sort of known for having presents, were just not known for having really good chefs or food. Interesting. Now, if anybody has any other information besides this, this is uh, what I came across. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it doesn't matter. This is the story that we're this going This is the truth. With. This is history. And Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis decided to hire a French chef. <gasps> wow. Yeah, so this this particular French chef, his name was René Verdon. Okay. And he was a French-born chef, and uh, he actually, the reason that he got the job, I don't know the whole story, but apparently he was working at the Carlisle Hotel. Oh, how fancy. Carlisle Hotel, and I think... And brings it all back to our uh, Bellamans. Yes. So uh, he became, he was, Jacqueline Kennedy was looking for a French chef, found a fancy, you know, Upper East Side French chef. Okay. Was, uh, and, you know, he was, he elevated the food cuisine. And so the Kennedys were like, we love French food. Oh my and God, so, and everybody loved the Kennedys. And everybody loved the Kennedys. And so Julia Child's right there, but like, look, I've been making French food. And, I just, and she was so... Oh just, my God. I think it was perhaps maybe a bit serendipitous and also just maybe a stroke of luck, maybe not, right place, right time, yeah. right? And she ended up... So people instantly attached themselves uh, to anything French. You know, wow. we all became Francophiles because of the Kennedys, because of a sophisticated, wonderful president with a well-mannered... An educated wife. Yeah, and good and taste. And a wonderful woman who volunteered. I mean, just excellent, yeah. wonderful people to look up to. Mm, role that, models. Role models that had manners. Imagine and, that. Yeah. And yeah. look what happened to him. He got killed. So listen, so this is the whole thing. So René Verdun, this is a really funny story, and I okay. love this, is that uh, he was known for having this fabulous dinner where they uh, shipped all their guests that were, not shipped them, they sent them on yachts down the Potomac River. Oh my God! Uh, let's not call that shipping. <laughs> they put them it's in first, boxes. Yeah. It was express shipping, first Get in class. This yacht. <laughs> so they had this dinner for the Pakistan for the I don't know, like it was a you know an elite Pakistan government official and his daughter or something, and they okay. came and they had this glamorous dinner and they cooked all the food and had it shipped, you know, and so you know they had avocado mimosa and. Uh, An avocado pul- mimosa? I don't yet. Yeah, hold on one second. So here we are. So here's this chef that prepares this fabulous dinner. And another interesting thing about this during this particular time in the very early 1960s was uh, they changed the way that uh, post dinner, uh, Miss Kennedy Onassis, you know, she mm-hmm. would allow for times of entertainment and that the men and the women would mingle together instead oh. of going off to their separate rooms as was prior. Right. With prior presidency, so this is the beginning of gender equality, perhaps. So you know, I mean, the beginning, <laughs> the beginning. The, oh, because right now it's totally equal. Yeah, luckily they they now started it's now chill. it's completely chill, chill, normal. chill, cool, cool, cool. Uh, and they apparently they put um, shakers with. They built a bar in the state dining room, and you could pour martinis and bourbon. Uh, they you know they had all these. So people were... They classed up the joint. They classed up the joint. They like they started shaking loose, right? From what I understand about the Kennedys, they like to party. They like to drink. They were young. They were beautiful. They were friends with celebrities, much like the Obamas. And they classed up the joint, much like the Obamas. Yes, they classed up the joint. So, uh, and anyway, so this all, you know, all these wonderful French things. And the so after, listen, what happened? Yeah. So as you know, tragedy struck. Yes. And... Uh, you know, Mr. Kennedy was was assassinated, yeah. and what went on with the chef? Like, what happened? I mean, he couldn't work there. He's continued to work at the, at the White House for a little bit. Okay, uh, but he obviously left. And at one point, I think it was Linda B. Johnson mm-hmm. that took over. 
and they want him to make a chickpea puree, a.k.a. hummus, and he refused. He was like, I will not make that garbage chickpeas puree. I find it so interesting that Lyndon Johnson wanted hummus. I don't know, apparently, and I guess, well, apparently it was the new chef, Oh, and he was giving him canned vegetables because he said they were cheaper, and he... You know, cheaper. It's the fucking White House. Uh, exactly. Ugh. So, um, all these things, 1960s, sort of just led. This, I guess, this the moral of the story is that uh, because of you know somebody's of our political leaders being role models, yeah, that we were taught as Americans to get away from to shy away from the canned right. processed foods of the 1950s. That was. That they were, you know, these food companies were trying to hawk onto people. Mm-hmm. Say like, look, TV dinners, it's easy, right. and mom doesn't have to work. Post World War II, and then they tried to bring it back about the enjoyment of life and the beauty of food, and yeah, and the sheer pleasure of it, and and that's a good thing. It's a great thing. So that's a great thing. I love that. So the so the big French food kind of pop and revolution in the 1960s essentially it was uh yes. was ushered in by the uh class and style of the kennedys and then also the right timing by of, the art of french cooking by the art of french cooking but also because this woman judith jones right saw some saw somebody and looked through you know she said she looked at the manuscript which was like an encyclopedia back then They're like i'm yeah. sorry you want a cookbook with like yeah, a eight, recipe eight for a baguette. Recipes. Like people don't even know. People are still making TV dinners here. Exactly. And she said, "You know what? Let's give it a chance." And then it it all think about how that just changed the whole food world. Absolutely, it's the most important cookbook to this day, as far as I'm concerned. Continues to yeah. change it on a daily basis. It's my like you know proverbial running out of the house with something's on fire cookbook. Mm-hmm. Like if I could only have one cookbook for the rest of my life, it'd be that. And not even so much because I use it. Like, I don't really cook from many cookbooks, but I love looking through it. That's like the most, mm-hmm. I don't know, the nostalgia of it, right? Well, some of my favorites, and we can just go off a little bit. Like, yeah. uh, some of my favorite cookbooks from the 1960s, uh, obviously that one, yes. <laughs> The Mastering of the Earth French Cooking. Uh, the other one is the by Vincent Price, The Treasury oh. of Great Recipes, which I've mentioned before. And yes, that's going to be a whole. I mean, that could be Halloween a Halloween television show. That may or may not come back yes. in the future. Just remember if you're a that Vincent name. Price fan. Vincent Price. <laughs> <laughs> and all these things. And then, okay, so now check this out. Also, during that time, you know, MFK Fisher was a food writer. And mm-hmm. there's a really good book if you're really, if you find this subject interesting like I do, not just from a a culinary perspective, but there's so many other authors that I haven't mentioned and cookbook people and people. I mean, this guy, Richard Olney was popular in the 1960s. Yeah. He was living in France and he also wrote some fabulous cookbooks also. And they were kind of all living in the late sixties together in uh, one in house Provence. Oh. And there's a book. Yeah. There's, I think there's a book called, <laughs> and uh, then Provence they all 19... put their keys in a basket. Yeah. They all put their keys in a basket. <laughs> and that is why, yeah, that's that how right. Julia Child and um, Dom DeLuise made a baby. Yeah, that is where we. <laughs> that's where Susan Powder came from. <laughs> we didn't know that. So all these people. There's a book called 1970 Provence by Luke Barr. He's a, a food history food historian. So if you're interested in that, that's a, cool. That's a good one to check out. And I just love. I mean, I think the food styling in the 1960s. Amazing. There was just, it was fresh, it was new, it was exciting. Absolutely, but Graham, there, there was know. also a lot of um, cherries on everything. Yeah, they were doing the best they could. You know, we, there wasn't, they were limited to the ingredients that totally. were being imported. As But that 
that demand that the oh yeah that our shoppers Americans totally. created that was what helped you know absolutely well, some things kind of fall apart in the seventies again in the eighties let's not talk uh, about it goodbye the eighties Ronald Reagan Ronald Reagan He's again like, why don't you just have a can of chicken I don't know cream of celery exactly so. I think it's interesting. The food styling of the 1960s in general is really coming back now. Mm -hmm. That kind of like dim lighting or actually ultra bright lighting. Ultra bright. Right. I think so. Yeah. It's like dim in my brain, but really like when you are going to, when you're lighting it, like on a photo shoot. Yeah. And they have lots of texture in the photos. Lots of texture. You know, because the film could have been overexposed or anything on purpose. And yeah. And I think, you know, Amy Sedaris loves the 60s. Oh, yes. Her whole show is basically her new show at home with Amy Sedaris is kind of a spinoff of the 1960s. Totally. Well, you know what I'll say about the food scene in the 1960s and tell me if you agree or disagree. Feel free to push back. I think that a lot of my favorite and a lot of America's favorite classic recipes. Now I realize a lot of these things, some of these things are not, you know, just American food, but the most classic recipes in my opinion stem from the 1960s, Mm -hmm. right? Like a wedge salad. Yeah. A cob salad. Yep, all these things. Uh, a chef salad, a Caesar salad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. Um, chicken and gelatin, classic. Yeah, chicken and jelly. Yeah. No, but like a lot of deviled eggs. A lot of these things are things that became really popular yeah, in the 1960s. Now every bar has to have them on their on the menus exactly. nowadays. Now, nowadays. Nowadays. But you know, the thing that's interesting about this time that we live in, as opposed to the 60s or 50s or before, but I really do think that the 1960s were the time in American food history where we developed most of our classic. Yeah, staying a lot of recipes. It. Yeah, yeah, the sixties and probably like the twenties. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we don't really have new classics that much anymore. Like the the foods that, while I think there's wonderful things going on with food today, amazing, great things in the two thousands, interesting, exciting stuff. Very few new classics. Yeah, new classics. How about that? I think the one new classic that I can think of, and I don't even know how new classic it is because it hasn't had enough time to fully spread, is the endive salad from Estella. Ignacio Matos' endive salad. It's unbelievable. Well, how about that? It's delicious. I've got to go. I've got to go try. We have a friend that bartends there. We do. We're going right now. And exactly. Bye. Just kidding. Okay, we're we back. We're, we're oh my God, it was so, <laughs> oh, it was so delicious. Oh, salad. I'm so full of endive. I could just die. So listen, Breton, I could end <laughs> dive. I could end dive into a pool of endive. <laughs> Do tell me your favorite 1960s <laughs> recipe besides clams. Okay, so top three yeah, yeah. this week. We'll each give our top three favorite 1960s foods. Are you smelling the microphone? I'm thinking about my favorite 1960s. My microphone smells really good. Okay. Um, Number three, 1960s food favorite. I guess lobster thermidor. Lobster thermidor. Love it. Not really sure when it was created. It could have been created in the 1910s for all I know, but it was popular on menus during Mm -hmm. the 1960s. So take that. Well, you already said, you already said uh, a wedge salad. A wedge salad is probably my number one. But before I get to number one, let me do number two. So number three, lobster thermidor. Number two, 1960s food. Devils on horseback. Mm, yes, yes. Or rumakai. Rumakai. Or know do you say that... rumaki or rumakai? Oh, I think I've said well, rumaki. Rumaki. Okay, so it's a water chestnut inside a chicken liver wrapped in bacon on a toothpick. Yeah, that was. That's okay. my number two. Okay. And then my number three. Again, not sure when it was created. Don't care. Uh, number. I'm sorry. My number one 
don't care when it was created, but it was popular during the 1960s because by we Wedge Salad. When we weren't alive, so we know best. Yes. But it's like the new kids being like, I know the 80s. I'm like, you were born in 95. Totally. You know what you're talking about. But we're going to talk about this. Yeah. Our 1980s were the 1960s. Like for Exactly. Our, our nostalgia for the, exactly. six, the unremembered 60s. Okay. So I have a... I can't, let me, off the top of my head, I wasn't prepared for this, but I'm really smart, so let's do it. One, two, three, go. Okay, so my third, I'm so smart. Uh, no, the, we used to have cannibal sandwiches. What the hell is that? Cannibal sandwiches in were uh, raw beef. And oh. it was raw beef with, you would salt and pepper the heck out of it, put it, you would basically put a mound of raw beef. It was a steak tartare without the steak without tartare. Without the fixins. Without the fixins. It was and a raw hamburger. pumpernickel slices of bread around it, and you would put big, round slices of onion Whoa. And I love it. I still want to do it at this at an oh upcoming. Oh my god, that and sounds so good. And you just so take some good. nice ground lean, you know, nice raw beef, and you just put it on a sandwich. On a, not even a sandwich, an open face little pumpernickel. Is that from the sixties, or is that I just something you so. like? <laughs> no, I think that was from the sixties. <laughs> it sounds very sixties. Uh, and then number two, you've already said all of my favorite things. That's but okay. I guess chicken a la king. No, Dude, mm-hmm. chicken a la king is so delicious. And I was going to say, I mean, I've already said it, but Clams Casino. Yeah, you can say Clams Casino. And really, I thought about Clams Casino because they t- it tends to have sausage, right? Or is it, am I No, of- Clams Casino is bacon. Bacon. So I'm yes. sorry. Bacon. You could put, that's what I was going to say, you, maybe instead of bacon, I thought. Oh, a riff on it with sausage? Yeah, but do like Sounds some like crumbled sausage and then just, it basically is baked clams. Yeah, baked clams with sausage. Bread crumbs and, you know, whatever. You can do whatever great. you want, but, uh, oh, you know, we are still le- left over from our clam episode uh, talking about that. But we I have went, leftover clams. No, but I went to Chinatown <laughs> and I bought this giant clam. They yeah. Like these giant clams are like two bucks a piece. How I, big was I, it? Well, it was the size of my fist opened up wide. Oh, wow. But it was, um, I dropped it and cracked it. And <laughs> Sarah, last night I was like, I'm going to cook it anyway. Sarah said, why would you risk getting sick from a, so this is the thing, like literally risking death, de- death because you don't want to waste a two. Cause I felt bad. I felt bad. I ruined a clam's life and then I didn't get to eat it. It doesn't even really have a brain. It is a bivalve. Yeah. It's, it's stupid. It's fine. But yeah, it's so basically it, just a rock. And then there was something else, and I don't know if this is the 1960s, but I always think of it as, as a chocolate cake roll. Oh, yes. A and Swiss cake that, roll. If that's 50s or 60s, I don't care. I mean, but. like, it definitely wasn't invented in the 60s, but it was very popular in the exactly. 60s. Also, I'm going to throw something right out there mm-hmm. at you. Fondue. Ah. <gasps> I forgot to I say. I just threw blazing hot fondue at Breton's face. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to throw something at you. A pot of fondue. Dude, jerk. <laughs> Catch. Okay. Everybody that got married in the 60s, my parents got married. No, oh, I think it was 70, but whatever. Close to they were engaged in the 60s and everybody got a fondue yeah. pot. I'm looking at one right now that Jenny bought me. It's up there. We got to use that thing. We got to get some fondue. I have those gorgeous um, fondue uh, skewers. Oh, yeah. You got them at yesterday's but, news. Yes, I did. So that brings me to what I think we should talk about today on Chef Recommends. Oh, what do you recommend? I think that we should talk about how to throw a perfect 60s cocktail party. Okay. Well. I mean, this could be a whole episode in its own. Exactly. But let's try to. But here's a quick. Give our tips. Quick pickle thing. Okay. So when I think of. You want to hit all the points, right? Mm-hmm. And I was not alive during the 60s, so it doesn't matter. So if it's a little bit off, eh, who cares? Just like the kids wearing stonewashed jeans. Exactly. Like it's the They're 90s. wearing 1993 jeans and calling them 1987. I'm like, no. They don't understand. You understand. That was eighth grade. This well, is sixth we grade. did have that one cocktail party at my house all those Christmases ago mm-hmm. where you brought an accordion and wore a shirt, a sweater with a From dickie. the 1960s. Yeah. So <laughs> let's just start with the outfit. Okay. Polyester. So you're going to want to have some polyester. 
right? So mm-hmm. make sure you get your air conditioner nice and cool because <laughs> everybody's going to be sweating bullets. Pass out deodorant. Yeah, sweating chicken on bullets. <laughs> and then pass out deodorant and you're going to get a key jar for everybody's keys. Key party. So your big hits for the 60s, I think we said quite a few of them. Yeah, deviled eggs. Deviled eggs. Rumakai. Rumakai. Devils on horseback. Can you tell us what Other devils... devil things. Devils on horsebacks. Devils on horseback are... Um, Prunes with, with bacon wrapped around bacon them? Bacon wrapped, yes. Yeah. I think of those... Or bacon wrapped dates, rather. Yeah, the water chestnut yeah. thing. Rumakai. Rumakai. Yeah. We didn't put chicken liver in ours. Yeah, rumakai. Rumakai is chicken liver, always. Okay. Yeah. See, we didn't... Know, we Devil on know. horseback is basically like a rumaki, but with... No chicken liver. With no chicken liver. Exactly. And now the and now I can rest in peace, everybody. I know exactly. the difference. A cheese ball. Okay, you got to have a cheese ball. A nut covered cheese ball. That's exact. You know what? Here's I'm going to give you a quick thing of a cheese ball. Here's you're like, oh my god, what what, what do you mean? Like what what kind yeah, of cheese? It doesn't matter. One single cheese ball. No, just kidding. Like you know the like little Cheetos. <laughs> yeah, the little baby cheese what? ball. <laughs> Amy Sedaris used to make her own cheese ball and sell them. I think she still does special orders. But basically, you take a bunch of cream cheese. You can take. Shred your, you can mix cheeses. Take the leftover cheeses. I think they were meant for like, you know, economical. Like, oh, I have a little bit of goat cheese and I have a little bit of cheddar. But like, and you can shred it and puree it in the food processor with some cream cheese. Totally. And then you you can add some sherry to it. You could put some, you know, you could add some anything. Bunch of chopped herbs. Yeah. Herbs, definitely. Pop of mustard. Poppy seeds. Let's name totally. it. Totally. Why not? Want some Cashews. Texture? Cashews. You got it. Uh, Crushed walnuts. Oh, wait, well, that's on the outside. Yeah, walnuts are on the outside. D- diced celery. Uh, absolutely. Not? Pickles. Capers. <laughs> Stop it. Olives. <laughs> Tuna Stop. fish. There's too many options. <laughs> Take everything you have in your house. Mix okay, it with so some now cream cheese. What are you going to serve for a, for a cockadoodle-doodle? What are you going to serve? Well, classics. And that's the other thing I wanted to say. Classic cocktails. Like, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. we know the martini was developed in not the 60s we did an episode for some reason the actual italian drinks were invented right that we drink now totally but they're all even if they were invented in the turn of the century the 60s is what i think when i think classic cocktails Mm -hmm. right because you would go you know what i I think it had something to do with you would go to the bars those in the 1960s and they had the uh, placemats that had all the cocktails on them yeah which is always wonderful If you're going to do a 60s cocktail party, stick keep classic. I would say do a picture of Negroni, picture of Manhattan, a picture of... Um, pink squirrels. Yeah. Classic. I always think of a pink squirrel. And I remember going through my grandparents' 1960s bar books when I was like, Mr. Boston, yeah, yeah. bartender book, you know, dated 1965. And I would read it. And I'd always remember turning to the page that said a pink squirrel. And I didn't know what it was, but I know that I want that drink. It just sounds like a penis. Uh, oh, is that what it means? I don't know. Oh my know. God, my childhood memories. Doesn't it sound like it though? Hey, Grandpa. Hey, Gladys. Let's. Uh, want to come over uh, here and have a pink squirrel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I have made, a little yeah. <laughs> pegs in a blanket. I or made pe- it stiff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bum Ding. A ding ding ding. But what is a pink squirrel? I don't know. Hold Damn on. It. Hold on one second. Okay. Okay. So a pink squirrel. Here's the very simple. It's it's a lot of sugar and heavy cream. It's creme de noyau, which is like a nut. You know, it's a Right. It's like a schnapps and okay. a nut schnapps. Oh, nuts. And then one ounce creme de cacao and heavy cream and you shake. You is it, shake is it, it even pink? Well, I think the creme de noir and then you put a cherry in it. One of those like nice things. Okay. That sounds some like people say s- put some ruby red creme de noir. I don't know. There's let's just change the recipe and call it a pink squirrel. Okay, perfect. So, yeah, I would do like so we're having a nice 1960s cocktail party spread. You invite your friends over, ask everybody to dress up fun. You put out a cheese ball. 
some deviled eggs. Get the fondue pot roaring. Oh, yes, of course. The fondue pot. Pitcher of martinis with like olives and onions and cute cute squirrels. I have fucking squirrels on the brain now. Oh, my God. There's a squirrel right there. Um, Some cute skewers. And now what you're going to want to do is get a... Go to the antique store and get some of those antique ashtrays that are big enough for oh. four thousand cigarette butts. So that yes. like, and forty people can use the same ashtray together. Exactly. Yes. Perfect. So, so allow uh, smoking in the house. Allow smoking in the house. Turn off all cell phones. Totally. Mm-hmm. And don't Instagram it. Don't. Don't Instagram be like, oh, this is so cute. Just leave it alone. Pretend no, like alone. you're actually in the sixties. And then get a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, ditch weed. Ditch weed is what we call very cheap marijuana. Oh, we used to call it regs. Yeah, regs. Regs. That's what the new kids yeah. call. It. I just found in the south. Reg weed. Girl's like reg, and I was like ditch weed. She's like no reg. Like regs. It's supposed. To, does that mean regular? Yeah. When oh, it, excuse me, miss. So does that mean regular? Uh, yes. When, when I was in high school, anyone who was lame, like mm-hmm. instead of being you're lame, we'd call them a reg lover. Mm, well, damn, that was the weed we were smoking. And yeah. Oh, I smoked it too. That's what you, you I sh- like it. I wish I could still get Wait, regs. You don't get high. I it's perfect for me. Yeah. <laughs> Regular weed makes me very scared. So, but anyway, yeah, get a bunch of regs. It just makes you hungry, which yeah. is great because you have a cheese ball. And then I'm gonna finish <laughs> off that. We're gonna finish off that party, and you are gonna get that cannibal sandwich. Which Ooh, is, yum! And you're gonna get a big. You're gonna go to your butcher, and you're gonna say, "Hey, Mr. Butcher, Mrs. Butcher." Nowadays in Brooklyn, yeah. and Ms. Butcher or yeah. just Butcher. Yeah, just plain Butcher. Just plain old Butcher. Butcher, uh, could you? Uh, fresh grind me. Uh, mm. I would like some sirloin. And what else would you put in some like a nice raw beef? Uh, I mean, you, you could do like top brown yeah. or sirloin. You could put. I mean, if you wanted, it's if you're a dry ex- age. If you want to have fillet because you have lots of money to spend on that, go ahead. Yeah, unnecessary. I think sirloin is just per- perfect. Just perfect. Yeah. And you're gonna spread that on those little pumpernickel toasts. Oh that my you're god. Get in marble rye, preferable, and then slice some onions. That and sounds great. Salt. Tons of salt and pepper. We need to throw another another mm-hmm. cocktail, 60s yes. cocktail party. We should do it together. Maybe that's we, what we should do for a pop-up. Oh, my God. That would actually be fun. Guys, we're just, we are just expanding. Every time we get together these days, we're just thinking of something new. Empire, yeah, we both traveled, and this is what it comes yeah. down to. I didn't Traveling travel does, yet, but. <laughs> you're going to. In my head, you already did, and you already came back. Don't rush it. <laughs> You've already gone. I'm like, oh, my God, I missed it. If I don't even remember going. for next week, we, you know, maybe you'll be lucky and I might pop over to Rome and we'll do a live. Oh my God. In Rome. Please. That'd be so fun. We'll see. Yeah. Also, we have more fun surprises coming at you. Brett and I have a new project we're working on and we love you guys. And this is, this was a fun episode. This is like my favorite topic. Yes. We could go dun, ramble dun, on and dun, on because dun, it's so fun. Dun, 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 and oh yeah, music. Dun, dun, You're going to put dun, 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 pop organ varieties. You're going to sixties French pop radio station on uh, Spotify a, is great. You know, yeah, Bridget Bardot Radio. Mm-hmm. Very good. Amazing. Yeah. There is just, it's, the thing about the 60s is people were having fun. They were having a blast. They were fucking, they were drinking. And that's and they the were thing too. There was also, not, not everybody as we exemplified in this episode, that there were people that were actually dying going to war. So the people that were staying here are like, what the fuck? Yeah. I mean, what can you do? We saw it once you've. That's a good point. You know, once you've volunteered and, you know, made yourself political and voted and yeah. just done all the things that a regular citizen can do. You know, besides working your regular job and being tired and, you know, feeding your pets and, yeah. and your lovers. And at the end of the day, I'd be like, they just were like, let's just live. Yeah. Let's they wanted put on to just this live. polyester. I want pops of color. <laughs> yeah. I want, I want avocado green refrigerators. Totally. And the color schemes were fabulous. Yes. 
It, then it's interesting because, you know, right now we're in a time, you know, we're recording this two days or one day after Brett Kavanaugh has mm-hmm. been voted as the next Supreme Court justice mm-hmm. and everyone's feeling emotional. Well, I shouldn't say everyone. Yeah. 50% of the country isn't <laughs> 50% feeling emotional. Of the population is very happy. But 50% of the population, including Brett and I, are feeling pretty, pretty mm-hmm. upset and just heartbroken over what's happening. And it's kind of, I posted something on Instagram yesterday about anti-mame and how anti-mame, you know, the patron saint of this podcast if you guys Which, haven't seen the movie, watch it. Exactly. She's amazing. But, you know, she taught us to live and try to have fun and drink and dance and be with people that you love and celebrate life whenever possible. Whenever especially possible. Especially when times are shitty. When times are shitty, then my theory is it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, I'm... And the thing with, you know, I went through a very difficult financial year and you know what? We had great parties. Somehow, Absolutely. Somehow it didn't matter that somehow also I had... You were more <laughs> fabulous. Yeah, somehow I always had <laughs> oysters and caviar. I yeah. don't know. Somebody would be like, oh, I have an extra bag of oysters. You that, just like, ask the universe for what you need and it's oysters. Exactly. And caviar. But, you know, let's all just, you know, if you're like-minded, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably on the same tip as we are. So, you know, we'll band together. We'll be there for each other. We'll drink. We'll dance. We'll laugh and love and bang and... And bong. (laughs) Bang. And And bing, bang, boom, Water bong. Um, But have fun and try to live life and enjoy and just get through the time. But also fight. Yeah. And stand up. But then at the end of the day, when you're done protesting, sit down and sip a martini and laugh with your friends. Because you will be hungry. You deserve to have fun. Now, if you have any questions about anything that we said, again, we love hearing your emails. We do. Life's a Banquet Show at gmail.com. Again, the easiest way is on Instagram, Life's a Banquet Podcast. You can direct message us. We'll both check it and we both respond. Yep. Uh, Grinder, Tinder, nuts, <laughs> yeah. nuts.com, yeah. pets, Facebook, everything. <laughs> But, you know, if we see you in the street, give us a wink, give us a nudge, and, uh, what? Give us a wink and a nudge. So, thank you very much, Thar. Have a wonderful time in Rome. I can't wait to hear about all your adventures. I can't wait for you to come and pop Mm -hmm. up and visit. It'll be really fun. Spain, who? I'm in Italy now. (laughs) Jet Setter International. Yeah. Hasta la pasta, babes. All right. Ciao till next time. Bye. All of our episodes are recorded right here at Studio 54 at the heart of Fort Green, Brooklyn. Our rock star, award-winning sound editor and producer is Christine Farrell. I'm Zara Tangora. And I'm Bretton Scott. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 